Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome back to another episode of Blitzcast. This is your host, Brendan Bolin, and today I am joined by Alex Kavtov, the former host of this show. It is an absolute pleasure to have you back, my man. I am super excited to finally be able to, I know we mentioned in the past, getting you back onto the show. Didn't know it would take this long, but here you are, my friend, so I'm super excited to get into it. I appreciate it, Brandon. You you guys have been doing a great job, you, Angelo, and Ed, when he was doing the show, so, you know, I'm happy to be back and talk some football with you, and there's there's a lot of news in the NFL. The big news, I guess, it's training camp season. Everybody wants to find out who their quarterback is going to be. There's a huge battle in Carolina with your former quarterback with the Browns and Baker Mayfield going against versus uh, going against Sam Darnold. What do you think about that? I mean, do you think uh, it's Mayfield's job to lose? You know, I, that's what I thought originally. Uh, seeing how camp has gone, I, I think that Darnold is getting those first team reps and he has been significantly better at camp now I will give Baker a little bit of you know uh, a little slack because you're coming into a completely new scheme new system new new players all around you so I don't expect him to come into training camp and just tear it up I do think that the Panthers made this move knowing that they want Baker Mayfield to be their starter so I do think that if Baker does you know kind of has, has an average you know training camp I think this is his job to lose you know, it's always like when Baker is against the wall, he always performs at his best. When he was a walk-on at, you know, Texas Tech, he won the starting job as a freshman. He went to Oklahoma as a walk-on, and look what he did there um, in those couple of years. He obviously was a number one overall pick with the Browns. He had some success before, you know, he kind of went downhill and the injuries and all that. He's getting a a fresh start in Carolina. I do think the Panthers wouldn't have made this move if they felt comfortable with their quarterback situation and with Sam Darnold. I think Baker is going to win this job at the end of training camp. I think he's going to be the starting quarterback in week one. That's just my take. Let's talk about your Cleveland Browns, the current team, the current quarterback that was brought in, a massive contract that Deshaun Watson received from the Cleveland Browns. I don't think anybody expected that, but he got it, and he was happy to get in there. And now there's news that he's been hit with the six-game suspension. We all knew it was coming, uh, Brandon, but, man, that's a, a light slip on— You know, that's just like he's he got off easy as far as I'm concerned because I just thought he was going to get suspended for at least half of the season, maybe even a full season, but— I guess the Cleveland Browns should be thanking their lucky stars. No, absolutely. Six games, if, if you're a Browns fan, I know when we saw that, that six games, we were ecstatic because the first six games of the season, I mean, there's a legitimate chance the Cleveland Browns start 4-2 and two with Jacoby Brissett. But, I mean, I, I personally was expecting anywhere from, like you said, eight games to potentially an entire season. And with how the Browns structured his contract, I thought they were kind of expecting the same because this next year, he's actually only like a one mil cap hit. It's it's incredibly smart how they were able to structure this contract, you know, despite giving him the most guaranteed money in the history of football. 
um, this next year, they set up his contract really well, and they set it up to to kind of expect them to not be playing. So to only get a six-game suspension, I mean, a third of the season, that's nothing. And the Cleveland Browns and Cleveland Browns fans should be more than happy about that. I believe that, you know, the Cleveland Browns, if they didn't overbid the way they did, they were kind of betting against themselves, I guess, bidding against Mm. themselves. If they didn't give them that massive contract, there's no way that Deshaun Watson would have come to the Cleveland Browns. So it was always like a a desperate move. The Cleveland Browns were like, we've never had a quarterback in the past 35, 40 years. So we've got to do this. You know, we've got (laughs) to get an upgrade. So obviously they they had to bring him in. But man, was it a huge risk to do this. They must have known something, Brandon. I mean, because when you bring in a quarterback, you're hoping you've got the running game, you've got the defense, and you're just hoping that you're like a quarterback away. I'm sure this is their best case scenario as far as I'm concerned. I mean, this is what they were hoping for. This is what the front office was hoping for when they brought him in and gave him that mega deal. No, absolutely. And there there was I don't I don't know if you saw, but at one point, you know, they they told Baker Mayfield, "Hey, you're our guy going forward." And then, you know, a week later Deshaun Watson's on the roster. So, I I do think that they did have to go and, you know, what was it, $230 million guaranteed that he's getting. You kind of ruined that relationship with Baker, despite if you got Deshaun Watson or not. So you the Browns put themselves in a position where it's like, well, now we're Bakerless. We have to absolutely go out for Deshaun Watson. Like you said, we have the defense. You know, you have Miles Garrett. You lock down Denzel Ward for the future. You, you have a good, strong, young secondary brewing. And then... You have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, which is your offensive key to the Super Bowl. You're just missing that star quarterback. And there was, you know, I, they, they had to overbuy because originally Deshaun Watson, I think everybody knows now that he was going to go to Atlanta. But Cleveland said, hey, uh, we're going to give you a lot more than Atlanta's willing to because we are desperate. We sacrificed our relationships with our current quarterback. We don't know what direction we're going in. We can't rock with Jacoby Brissett as our 17-game starter. So... We're going to give you a 230 mil guaranteed. What do you think of Jacoby Brissett? Obviously, the, the Browns had some options, but they decided to bring in Brissett. They chose him over Baker Mayfield. I think it was pretty obvious that the, the Mayfield-Browns relationship was going to go its separate ways. And Brissett has been mostly a backup for much of his career, but I look at his stats and he has 37 starts with the record of 14 and 23. So he's been in this position before. He has started games with the Miami Dolphins. He's started games with the Colts. And, you know, he's, he's a battle-tested guy. What do you think of him just moving forward, knowing that I'm looking at the schedule that the Browns have, and it's interesting. They open the season at Carolina. That's going to be interesting with if Baker wins that starting <laughs> job. Then they've got New York Jets. They've got a Pittsburgh team that has more question marks on offense as far as I'm concerned. Then they're at Atlanta. So their first four games, Carolina, the Jets, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, they could go 4-0 and with Jacoby Brissett as their starting quarterback. No, I, I full-heartedly do believe that we could start off that when Deshaun Watson comes back, I really do think the Browns could be 4-2. and And Jacoby Brissett has always been that guy where... He's not 
just a backup. He's a backup for a team that you know is going to play that backup in a significant role. And I mean, we let's just flash back to that season. It was the I believe the 2019 season or 2018, uh, the season Lamar Jackson won the MVP. And there was a there was a point in time where that like that first nine or ten weeks, Jacoby Brissett was actually in the MVP race. Sounds crazy, but. Um, and not saying that that's what we're getting out of Jacoby Brissett, but he's battle-tested. He's proven that, you know, he is one of the best backup quarterbacks in the league. I think he's at top three backup in the league. And a guy that's had that starting experience with kind of a similar type of offense that uh, Indy was running at the time, I think this is going to be a perfect fit. And there wasn't really a better option. You know, we we had Case Keenum in the past, but the age was starting to get there, and we saw that he wasn't necessarily the backup that can win us these four games that we need to win off of the bat if we want to make a playoff push. Jacoby Brissett, when he was a very similar situation that he's in right now when he was the Colts quarterback starting the season, after the whole Andrew Luck, um, you know, um, retiring out of nowhere, he was thrown into the fire, and now he, he knows that he's going to be the starter going into it. So having that extra time to prepare and knowing that you are going to be the starter, I'm confident in Jacoby Brissett, and I... I absolutely love that the Cleveland Browns went all out to get him this offseason. How do you think the Browns match up in that AFC North division? Obviously, the Bengals went to the Super Bowl, which was a huge surprise, right? Yeah. Uh, with Burrow in his you know second season, Jamar Chase going off, and the Bengals' defense got better as the season progressed. Then you have that Pittsburgh team, that has question marks at the most important position, which is quarterback. Uh, but, uh, you know, they still have a good defense. They still have a running game. And then you've got the Ravens, and the Ravens are always there. Lamar is kind of trying to get that contract, you know, that next man up. And then, you know, the Ravens have the running game. They have the defense. They're, they're always there. This is another tough division with Jacoby, uh, with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, obviously the Browns are going to have to rely on that running game with, you know, Hunt and, you know, with Chubb. And they're just going to have to carry that rock because I don't think the Browns have enough weapons on the outside to scare anyone. And that's why, you know, getting Deshaun Watson is going to be so critical to them once he comes back. But it would be silly to think that he sits out the first six games and then he's going to be doing the same old Deshaun Watson stuff that we saw him do with the Texans. It's going to take a couple of games for him to work into that scheme. How do you think the Browns are going to handle this? How do you think they fit in uh, when you look at this division as a whole? I mean, are you an optimistic Browns fan moving forward? You know, I've I've always been one of the more optimistic Browns fans in the world, and I also am, am a realist to an extent. I know that he's not going to come in and have that incredible season that he had last uh, last time he was playing, but uh, you know he, he's coming in his first game is against Baltimore. You know that is a very very tough ask to come into when you haven't played football in two years. And you know just talking about Baltimore, they absolutely killed it in the draft this year. Defensively, they're looking better than they did last year. They've beefed up the offensive line. Uh, yeah, they traded away Hollywood Brown, but. From the reports I've been reading, the stuff I've been seeing, Rashad Bateman is having one heck of a camp. I mean, one heck of a camp. Lamar looks fantastic. This Ravens team is is scary. You know, I, I know everybody talks about, oh, they don't have any receivers. They don't... 
they're going to make it work, you guys. I mean, they, the last few years I've been saying the Ravens don't have great receivers, and they, in all honesty, they haven't. Hollywood Brown isn't spectacular. He's a, he's a very good receiver, but, you know, they have Mark Andrews. Like I mentioned, Rashad Bateman's been finding himself. And then the Bengals. The Bengals, defensively, they, they have improved that secondary significantly through the draft. Um, I, I, you know, I... We always see the the team that loses the Super Bowl has a really hard time rebounding. I mean, just like we saw it with the Panthers, the Falcons, teams that were right there, one play away, and then the next year they kind of fall off that cliff. I don't see that for Cincinnati. Despite, you know, Atlanta had a good team after that. Uh, the Panthers still had a good team after that, but they couldn't find the success. I don't see that for Cincinnati. Joe Burrow is different. That defense is different. And not, I mean, Joe Mixon even. Joe Mixon had a case for top 10 running back last season, not to forget to mention the top five receiving core they have. So Pittsburgh, I, I, I am confident that we can out Pittsburgh simply due to the quarterback situation. Uh, they have announced, I believe, that Mitch Trubisky is going to be the quarterback uh, starting, which I think we all expected. But Pittsburgh, even then, you know, they, they've Ben Roethlisberger the last couple of years, he dealt with some injuries here and there, and they had to have guys like Mason Rudolph, Duck Hodges come in. Year in, year out, they're still finding a way to be over 500. So you can't ever out the Steelers despite not having a Ben Roethlisberger because it's still that system. It's still Mike Tomlin. I really do think that this is going to be a quote-unquote rough year for the Browns. I don't know if I can promise us a playoff appearance simply because Deshaun's going to have to have some time, some playing time. I don't expect him to come out there and win every game he starts. He's probably going to go 500 his first year with the Browns. And just in, not to forget to mention, a lot of the Browns is new. It's not just a new quarterback. Our receiving core looks completely new. Uh, you know, we, we traded away Austin Hooper, so our tight ends are getting new roles. There's a lot to ask of this Cleveland Browns team and a young Cleveland Browns team at that. So I definitely think there's going to be some jumps that have to be made. I'm, I'm going to predict a third place for the Cleveland Browns in that division, though. Which could get them into the playoffs as a wildcard team. I'm, I'm sure it will, uh, because this is going to be a, a very competitive division. You know, we've seen a lot of comeback stories in the sports world, in the NFL. If Deshaun Watson wins the Super Bowl for the Browns, everyone is going to forget about, you know, his... His off-the-field issues. I mean, we all remember what happened with Ray Lewis, right? Mm. I mean, he also had a, a murder case, and then he won a Super Bowl with the Ravens, and he was made into a hero. I'm not saying Watson is going to become a hero, but if he wins a Super Bowl in Cleveland, Brandon, you do realize, like, how starved that, that fan base has been. And if he does that, I mean, most people are going to forgive him and forget about it. Oh, abs absolutely. I mean, he would he would be the greatest thing to Cle. I mean, he would be the new LeBron James to Cleveland in essence. You know, he would be the greatest sport figure to happen since LeBron taking the Cavs to the finals. And I, I, it is very safe to assume that everybody will kind of forget about the past. I mean, we even saw it with Ben Roethlisberger, you know, and his success with Pittsburgh and how that's kind of put the past in in the past. So. And, you know, with, with how good of a team is set up against uh, around Watson, there's no excuses for him to not succeed. Don't, my only concerns is, you know, the rest of that AFC. I mean, there's legitimately, what, 12, 13 playoff teams in the AFC alone. So it's a big ask, but if he, if he comes through and flourishes, I completely agree with you, Alex. 
On Tuesday, uh, there was news coming out of the Miami Dolphins where the NFL notified Miami that the team would be stripped of its 2023 first-round pick for violations of league policies relating to the integrity of the game. And basically, it has to do with tampering. Following a six-month investigation, the league found that the Dolphins, primarily team owner Stephen Ross, has been tampering with Tom Brady from on a few separate occasions from 2019 to 2022. They also tempered with New Orleans Saints coach Sean Payton as well. So the Dolphins were <laughs> trying to get Brady and trying to get Payton, and they were, there were rumors about it. But once that whole thing with Flores came down, that kind of shut down all those rumors and we saw that those things just didn't happen. Brady went back to the Bucks. Peyton went to the booth, right? And he's going to be a, a commentator there for Amazon. And I'm sure he's itching to get back into the coaching ranks out there. Maybe Dallas is the place where we find him in 2023. But it's, uh, it's a hefty price to pay. A first-round pick in 2023, uh, they were also fined like a half a million dollars and also stripped of the 2024 third-round selection. So, Stephen Ross, hey, trying to do some deals behind the screens and, uh, you know, away from the public eye. But obviously the NFL kind of caught on to this. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a hefty pi- that's a hefty fine to pay for the Miami Dolphins. Oh, I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable to me that the Dolphins thought they could get away with something like that. It's, it's, it's silly, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think the Dolphins do still have a first-round pick going into next year, which is huge for them because this next year's draft is absolutely loaded with, with seriously some of the best talent I've ever um, scouted in my life. But yeah, it's, it's so silly that that finally came out because I remember hearing the rumors of the Patriots, or excuse me, the Dolphins trying to get Brady to be their quarterback, partial owner, as well as bring in Sean Payton to be that head coach. And I mean, how do you how do you expect to get away with that? Let alone when you're talking to the man while he's still in your division. I mean, these talks dated back to 2019 when Tom Brady was still a Patriot. So it's a hefty fine to pay, but tampering is something that the league does not mess around with. So I'm, I'm not surprised to see that they were finally caught with it. And Boy, what a shakeup the NFL would have had if that actually went through. Let's talk about another great wide receiver who's had an amazing career uh, despite a down year in 2021 with the Tennessee Titans. I'm talking about Julio Jones, uh, a seven-time Pro Bowler, the former first-round pick. He led the league in receiving yards twice and averaged over 100 catches per season from 2014 to 2019. Um, Obviously, you know, he spent last season with the Titans after spending a decade with the Falcons, where he began his career back in 2011. And um, it looks like Tom Brady was doing some campaigning again and bringing in another huge weapon, a guy that's probably going to, at this point, help him in the red zone, more than anything because I mean the Bucks do have Mike Evans but Chris Godwin is coming back from a serious injury I'm sure he's not going to be ready for the start of the season so this is a move that the Bucks had to make especially with 
Gronkowski not coming back, officially, you know, retiring. So Tom Brady doing doing some hard campaigning and uh, bringing in another uh, great wide receiver. I'm just I'm curious where you stand on this. Can Julio Jones help the Bucks, or is his time up as far as you're concerned? You know, to me, this was absolutely the best case scenario for Julio Jones. Uh, there is one other team that I really thought would have been great for him, and that's the Packers, but the Bucks were absolutely the number one landing spot. And like you said, Chris Godwin, he's coming off of a very serious injury, probably not going to be exactly the player he was when he left, and he won't be there immediately. But the, the Buccaneers brought in Russell Gage as well this offseason, who was a very, very underrated piece for Atlanta and kind of was able to make a name for his own when um, you know when it was kind of just him and Calvin Ridley playing when Julio had, had injury issues and stuff. But Russell Gage was even recruited by Tom Brady. So to have Mike Evans, Russell Gage, and Julio Jones, at some point in the season, Julio Jones might even be your third option. So to, I, I don't care how you know, quote-unquote, washed Julio is. I don't care how old he is. There's not a better wide receiver three in the NFL than Julio Jones. I mean, that's, that would be just disrespectful to say there is. So I think this was a fantastic pickup for both sides. And Julio Jones, I mean, he was he was this close to getting his ring, and it was stripped away because of Tom Brady. Now this might be his last opportunity to get a ring because of Tom Brady. I And I, I think this could kind of be a similar... A similar thing that we saw with that Antonio Brown situation. You know, he he brought in Antonio Brown, a guy that everybody's saying, oh, he's old, he's washed, he's, you know, not all there. Like, you don't need this guy. And guess what? He came in, he, what, scored two touchdowns in the Super Bowl and was awesome in that playoff run. Having a, I mean, Julio Jones, if he can stay healthy, there's no ifs, ands, or buts that he's going to succeed with Tom Brady. And then you have Mike Evans on the other side. I mean, Who's going to cover Mike Evans and Julio Jones? That's a sick amount of height. And then you have the speed with Russell Gage. You get Chris Godwin back. There's four legitimate wide receivers. I mean, those could, all could be starters. With you know, Russell Gage is definitely a number two. But um, I don't think there was a better situation for Julio Jones to have success at this point in his career. I agree with you that. Obviously, he's, Julio is not going to be the number one wide receiver here. He's going to be like the third option. And that's a great third option to have for Tom Brady and the Bucks in that offensive scheme. But I'm going to play a little devil's advocate. I just don't think it's the same Julio Jones that was with the Falcons in 2019. He has huge injury question marks. He can't stay healthy anymore. Just ask the Titans. I mean, the Titans had high hopes for Julio as a number two wide receiver behind A.J. Brown, and that certainly didn't work out. I mean, he had a down year, and he's been injured quite a bit. And I just don't think uh, when injuries continue to happen, I don't think a wide receiver can over, or a player in the NFL can overcome them anymore. And I just think the best days for Julio are done. I hope they kind of limit his snaps early, and then he can get ready for that stretch run and can help him in the playoffs. Because then the Bucks can go with like three deep, four deep, as far as wide receivers are concerned. You can keep those receivers fresh. And I hope that's where Julio is going to pay dividends. If he stays healthy, if he plays less during the regular season and kind of save him to- towards the playoffs, then I think he can have success there. But I just don't think Julio 
can last for 17 games. And just what, you know, history shows us. And uh, it's unfortunate. Do you think Julio Jones is a Hall of Famer? And I bring this up because wide receivers usually take a long time, Brandon, to get in. And we've seen a lot of great ones that are still waiting to hear their name called to get that gold jacket, to get into Canton. Um, especially with the offensive, you know, explosion the last like 10, 15 years, wide receivers put up huge numbers. And we've seen some great wide receivers go unrecognized for 10, 15 years. And they have better numbers than Julio Jones. When you look at his numbers, 879 receptions, over 13,000 receiving yards, 81 touchdowns. Where do you stand on this? Do you think, do you think Julio Jones is a Hall of Famer? I, I, I do believe that Julio Jones is a Hall of Famer. I think in my lifetime, there's been three receivers that are sure-fired Hall of Famers, in my opinion. One of them is a question mark just because of his exit from the league. But, I mean, you talk about Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, and Antonio Brown. That is the big three of my lifetime, and I think all three of those are deserving of you know being in the Hall of Fame. If you are consistently in the conversation of being the absolute best at your position for, I mean, you know, nearly a decade. I, I think that that kind of makes a case for itself, but then you look at the numbers alone speak for themselves. I, I get that there's been players that statistically have been phenomenal and just don't make it. I mean, a guy like even Brandon Marshall, you know, statistically unbelievable, but I don't think he's going to make it into the Hall of Fame because he was never the true number one top dog and consistently argued as the best receiver in football for nearly a decade when Julio Jones has been, you know, it's been between Julio, it's been between Antonio Brown. And um, I, I absolutely think Julio Jones deserves to be in the hall of fame. He is the prototypical. If you can build a player on Madden, you know, you're building Julio Jones. I, I 110% Julio Jones is a hall of famer in my eyes. He deserves to be in, but I just think it's going to take a little time for him to get there because I look at some other receivers that I saw in their prime in the 90s, in early 2000s, and these guys are not in the Hall of Fame, and I thought they would be. To me, Andre Johnson of the Texans is a Hall of Famer. I also think Torrey Holt, the former St. Louis Rams wide receiver, mm -hmm. I think he's also a Hall of Famer. If you look at their numbers, they have bigger numbers than Julio Jones, and they're not in. So I think that's a case against Julio in this case because, uh, like I said, if if somebody would have told you, like, do you think, like, five years ago, people would have asked, like, do you think Torrey Holt and Andre Johnson are Hall of Famers? Most people would say yes, and they're still not in there. So I think it's going to take a little while for uh, Julio Jones to get in. And just because of the offensive explosion, just because, you know, the way the offensive systems have been built, they're throwing the ball a lot more. These wide receivers are just, you know, getting huge numbers. They're almost, you know, it's not the same number. You know, most people marveled at the numbers that Jerry Rice put up in the 80s and the 90s. But now a lot of wide receivers are putting up those numbers. I just think, you know, it's, uh, Julio deserves to be in, but I think it might take like 20, 25 years for him to, to hear his name called in Canton. Absolutely see where you're coming from, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think that 
there has kind of been a lot of players as of late that we've been expecting to see. I mean, Andre Johnson, a name you mentioned, he's been eligible for a few years now, and to see him not get in is pretty disrespectful. So uh, I definitely think that it can take, you know, plus 15 plus years for him to get in. But if Julio Jones doesn't make it in the Hall of Fame, I, I truly would think that's absurd. And I think Torrey Holt, the two other guys you mentioned, deserve it just as much. Speaking of wide receivers, another wide receiver got paid. And I think I guess we should get used to it because this offseason has been filled with a lot of movement as far as wide receivers are concerned, a lot of trades, a lot of big-time players getting moved, you know, Tyree Kill going to the Dolphins, you know, Devontae Adams making the move from the Packers to the Raiders and then signing, you know, those massive deals. Now DK Metcalf, a guy that was drafted in the second round by the Seahawks, he agreed to a three-year, $72 million contract extension with Seattle that will last through the 2025 season. Of that total, he gets $58 million up front. It's guaranteed. Uh, the pact includes a $30 million signing bonus, which is the biggest ever for a receiver. So another receiver gets paid. Obviously, DK has been you know, a huge revelation for the Seahawks, and but he doesn't have Russell Wilson anymore. So what are the Seahawks going to do? They've got Geno Smith. They've got Drew Locke. You know, they obviously got rid of Russell Wilson. They decided to rebuild, you know, uh, you know focus on the running game, maybe get that quarterback in the 2023 NFL draft. What's DK? I mean... Is DK Metcalf going to be complaining a lot? Because he's not going to be getting the ball quite as much as he was getting with Russell Wilson, a quarterback in Seattle. You know, I wouldn't be complaining too much if I got a $30 million signing bonus. But when it comes to the football aspect, you know, I definitely think we're going to see a significant drop-off in his numbers um, simply because you, you mentioned Russell Wilson is no longer there. You either have Geno Smith or Drew Locke throwing you the football. DK Metcalf absolutely deserved this contract. I, I really do believe that. And he, this offseason, with, with all the stuff happening, with Bobby Wagner on the move, with Russell Wilson on the move, he has openly said, I want to be this guy for Seattle. I want to be the face of Seattle. And, you know, he kind of understands the position they're in right now. He understands that they are in full-blown rebuild mode. But if they have one guy, he's their guy. And I think he's okay with being that guy, you know. He understands that the, st the stats are going to look a lot different. He's not going to get the ball as much. And I don't think he would have signed this extension if he wasn't going to be okay with that. And the fact that it was a three-year contract rather than a four-year that we've been seeing, I think that was a big part in helping this contract go through. Do you think the Seahawks should have just traded DK Metcalf and kind of started over? I mean, you mentioned that They've gotten rid of some stars on the defensive side of the ball. They got rid of Russell Wilson. You know, they got extra picks in return. They get younger players. It's pretty obvious that in that division, in the NFC West, Seattle is going to finish fourth. They're not going to have any miracles. I mean, when you look at Arizona, the Rams, the 49ers, I can't see the Seahawks, you know, winning more than like four or mm -hmm. five games. Do you think they should have just tried to trade DK Metcalf and possibly get like you know look what the, I mean EJ Brown the Eagles I mean and the Titans they got a first round pick for him why not I mean 
you drafted DK Metcalf in the second round, you probably could have gotten the first round pick for him. Why not, you know, why not just start over, start fresh? It's it's fairly obvious that Pete Carroll and John Schneider are starting over from scratch. Why make this move? I just, I question this. Most wide receivers, they need quarterbacks to throw them the ball. And they don't have a quarterback there. They, not Drew Locke, not Geno Smith. And they have a couple of weapons at the wide receiver position. They've locked in with Lockett. I would have gotten rid of DK Metcalf just because I want to bring in more capital. I want to I want to bring in more draft picks. I want to rebuild. And, you know, you, you mentioned the 2023 NFL draft looks really sexy right now. There are a lot of really good players at the top. If Seattle can get, you know, two, three first-round picks, why not do it? Why not start over? Why do this? Why lock up DK Metcalf? It's not like he was a, a top 10 pick. They could have gotten out of that second round pick. They could have gotten multiple picks. And it's not out of the question mark that around draft time, somebody would have you know, been willing to trade a first round pick for DK Metcalf. No, I, I absolutely see where you're coming from. You would have had a lot of value in trading DK away just because of that. Like, I really do think He's one of the more val- most valuable receivers in the league right now, and that contract showed it. But I, I think the reason you don't trade him away is simply because you just want to have at least that piece. And I understand that you kind of want to do a full rebuild. You want to figure like you, you got to start from scratch. But even though they're going in a more running direction, uh, it looks like I just it, it would be really hard to let your after you've let you know he. he arguably your third best player after you know like Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson I think he is their best player now you kind of just don't want to let that go I feel like it's Seattle has seen we have taken such a big step back these last few years we know we're not going to be competitive within the next year or two but we have to hold on to at least one bright spot of this football team because if you trade DK Metcalf away you're still taking that chance on potentially not hitting on that first round draft pick that you would get out of him so Yes, you would be getting more more capital to to draft more players, but you're still taking the chances on those players not being what DK Metcalf was. But in the um, to to play the other side, I could have seen the benefit of doing it because you wouldn't have had to pay him seventy two million dollars, give him fifty eight million guaranteed, and it's it's got to be kind of hard to build an offense around that once you're paying a receiver that much. But in my opinion, I think it's simply because they are just too afraid to let their number one asset at this point go after trading away their star linebacker and quarterback. I just don't want to see DK Metcalf pout on the mm-hmm. sideline when he realizes in week one that he just doesn't have a real quarterback anymore and he's not going to see as many targets even when he's open in the end zone. You know, He's not going to get those double-digit touchdowns. That's, that's what I think. I mean, usually wide receivers do pout. They are crybabies because they're not getting the ball. And um, I just, I don't want to get, I don't want to see DK Metcalf get stuck on a bad team. And then you will hear whispers in like year two or year three that, hey, the Seahawks and him are fed up and now they're going to part ways and they're going to trade him. I just think this could be, you know, a marriage that ends in a couple of years. All right, Brandon, you've been doing a really good job as far as like scouting reports on NFL Draft Blitz website. You've been watching a lot of film this offseason on different prospects. 
different positions. So what we're going to do during this show is we're going to focus on the interior offensive line, and we're going to focus on the guard position for the 2023 NFL draft. So let's start. You've got a top five list. Let's start at number five, my friend. Go ahead. All righty. Before I get too in-depth to it, I just want to say that you know this top five is absolutely subject to change. I, I did my film breakdown, and I would, I'll say the way I ranked them was basically, you know, it was who impressed me based off the film I saw. So these, these are absolutely subject to change. You know, my top five could even change going into this next year. But the five players in order that impressed me the most, I'm going to go with number five, starting off with Nick Broker. Ta- uh, he was a tackle and offensive guard from Mississippi, and he's going to be a senior. Big boy at 6'5", 315 pounds. He was a three-star recruit by Rivals and 247 Sports, while ESPN actually had him as a four-star recruit and the second best player in Illinois. He, he had one heck, of a, one heck of a high school career. He was a three-year letter winner, two-time all-conference selection, and was a Campaign News All-State honoree. And his time with Ole Miss, he has been a, a full-time starter since 2020, but has been con- getting consistent play since 2019. He had played 12 games in 2019, didn't get any starts, but from 2020 and on, he has started every game he's played in, which is 23 games between those two seasons. When I was watching Nick, the first thing that that stood out to me that I was like, this is what's going to make him special is how quick and smooth of a mover he is when he's getting to the next level. He is very good wide base to make up for his lack of strength, and that, that was... The, the big thing about him is he's going to be transitioning from tackle to guard this season. So I was kind of watching a tackle from a guard's lenses, seeing, you know, what is this, how is this going to translate over? And he is absolutely more apt to play guard than, than he is tackle because he does lack a little bit of strength and as well as length. He has the mobility, though, and he has that base that would make him a great guard. He's a very good run blocker. He understands how to set people to the side and get that shoulder turned to open up a running lane. He has above average technique when it comes to, you know, breaking down and pass blocking. He just had issues dealing with those super strong defensive ends that were able to get around him faster. And one thing that I noticed is he has really good speed for pulling. So I think his biggest asset is he's going to be a guy that can get downfield fast for you. He's going to be a high-effort, second-level blocker, and you can use him a lot on pulling plays. Uh, like I was kind of mentioning, he, he's not very strong. I mean, I would say he's average, average at the absolute best. And he get got beat off, uh, got beat off the edge by speed rushers consistently. He didn't have, like, yes, he has high effort and mobility, but he just didn't have that kick step to be able to get around and ride out those speed rushers. So being on the interior where you're not necessarily having to worry about holding off that entire edge and traveling with your guy, I think that this is going to benefit him and his career greatly. So he, he don't you sorry, go ahead. Don't you think that don't you think that strength is a major asset for an interior offensive lineman? I mean if if you're weak, I'm not saying he's weak, but if you lack strength inside, that's going to be a huge problem in the NFL. Just because even if he sounds like he's going to be an offensive guard for a zone blocking mm-hmm. scheme, obviously, because he can get out to the second level, he's nimble, 
you know, he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be blocking for a running back 10 yards downfield. And because, you know, I'm sure he's going to test really well. He started all 13 games at left tackle, though, in 2021. He has yet to miss a game in his college career. So I just want to get your take. I mean, how do you see that projection? How do you see him converting to offensive guard when you say that he lacks strength? Yeah, he he absolutely does. And the one thing that makes up for his lack of strength is his flourish in technique and having such a wide and set base. Um, his he understands how to use his lower body. So if you can hold that leverage, I mean, at, at the end of the day, if you're playing just and you know a guy like Jalen Carter, he's gonna lose. He's gonna lose those reps because Jalen Carter's just uh, a beast among men, you know. But I think, like you said, he's gonna be a zone in a zone blocking scheme. And when NFL scouts are looking at him, the main concern they're going to have is: is this guy going to be strong enough to be on the next level? So I I. I, I really am excited to see how he does on the interior and holding his own, but that that's the question mark I have watching him into next season. All right, let's move on and uh, go to number four. Who is your fourth offensive guard on this list? All righty. It is going to be Emil Okoy Jr. from Alabama. He's a redshirt senior, six foot three, 307 pounds, uh, a consensus four-star recruit from Rivals 247 and ESPN, and the consensus number one player in Indiana. So very, very high, highly recruited out of high school, and he actually started in that U.S. Army All-American game, which is a really big game for those offensive linemen. So since 2020, he started every game, played 13 games, uh, excuse me, 2021, 15 games played, 15 games started, 2020, 13 games played, and 13 games started. And then his first two seasons didn't start any games, but had 12 games between 2018 and 2019. When I was watching Emil, he gets off the line with a sick amount of violence. Super, super violent. He has a great frame for the position. He's kind of, he's, he's built like a guard. I mean, you go Google guard, you know, you're going to see a picture of him. It's textbook definition for what you want your guard to be built like. Very high effort and energy player. Uh, he's always keeping his feet active and quick. That's, that's something that a lot of these players I've been watching lately is they've kind of relied more on their strength rather than keeping those feet churning, you know? You could be as strong as you want, but if you're just sitting there like an anchor, you're going to get pushed over. And something Emil makes sure about it is he does not because his feet are always, always moving as well as keeping a super wide base. I think his lower body is what impresses me the most. And, you know, to further push the intensity factor of him is he is every every screen a, t- a team that loves to run screens he is your perfect perfect player he gets out to that screen and gets to the second level with violence and speed he is very fast for a guard and he can anchor a defender in the run game you know he can completely get a shoulder turn and push him over to the next gap i definitely like him a lot in uh you know teams that like to like honestly, a team like the Cleveland Browns really could benefit from it. You know, we don't need a guy like that, but a team that likes to run the play action, likes to run the screen, likes to run the football. I really like Emil Acquire. His cons are he just 
has a balance issue. Uh, his top half tends to bend too far forward, and I think that's to do with his, you know, aggressive play style. He needs to work on that technique and pair it with his aggressiveness because the reps he loses are due to his his lack of technique. They're not due to his lack of physicality. They're not due to, you know, the other guy just being stronger than him. He's just trying to be too aggressive, and he's sacrificing a lot of just that basic technique. So if he can find a balance of aggression and technique, I think he could bump his way up into, you know, potentially the second best guard that I watched. I really liked what I saw from him, but the technique aspect, I think, was a little bit more raw than the le- the rest of the guys I have on my list. Well, Alabama has been churning out high-level offensive line prospects for over a decade under Nick Saban. And obviously, we're, we're not going to see this guy go as high as Evan Neal did in the 2022 NFL Draft, but this guy is just the latest in Alabama's dominant talent pipeline on the offensive line, and I'm sure he's going to be the headliner in this draft class moving forward. All right, who is your number three offensive guard? All righty. We're, we're going right back to Alabama, Alex. I mean, like you said, they're always churning out the offensive linemen, and they have two NFL-level guards ready to go for next year, and that is Javian Cohen. And I, I kind of had a difficult time deciding between the two who I wanted to put above, but Javian Cohen just, he has that slight edge over him, and he has a little bit more of the technique aspect figured out. He's six foot four, 305 pounds, was a four-star recruit by rival, and 247 was a three-star from uh, ESPN. Was a top 25 player in Alabama um, by all of them, but definitely not as highly, uh, you know, appreciated as as his uh, counterpart Emil Akoy in his high school. Um, definitely doesn't have as much experience at Bama either, only starting 14 games. So he's played 19 games, but 14 of those are starts, and he's been with the Roll Tide since 2020. So there's a little bit less of you know to to watch on the guy. But from what I saw, I was a little bit more impressed because I really think this guy is the, the smartest lineman I think I watched, with the exception of number one, and we'll get there. But he always has his head on a swivel. He's always looking for extra assignments after he wins his. He's a super smart player that understands different responsibilities. You know because. Sometimes you'll see a guy pancake him and stand over a guy and not look for that that next thing. You know, what's where's the play flowing to? What's the next thing I can do? And Javian Cohen is always looking for it. If you know he he takes care of his guy, he's going to the second level and picking up a linebacker. If the I mean I I saw there was a play where I saw Javian Cohen twenty five yards downfield trying to block secondary. It's just a very very high effort player super strong athletic presence in the trenches he does not get collapsed back into the pocket easily and i think that's going to be one of his biggest assets is just how well he's able to stay in his lane he does not let people bully him uh he he's the bully you know he's the one bullying linemen backwards in the run game and a lot of times how these guards are so successful in the run game is kind of just getting the shoulder turn and opening up that zone or that gap excuse me but you know, Javian Cohen bullies them. He gets them out there and gets them 10 yards away from where the play's supposed to be. He's just, it, not to use the, he's just a dog, you know? I, I hate using that saying, but some guys just are. And uh, my biggest thing that I really loved about him is how well he was able to pick up stunts. 
that's something that I noticed a, a handful of these guys really struggled with was keeping their head on the swivel and seeing where different pressures going to be come from and disguised as. So I think he does a really good job pre-snap, you know, deciding, hey, if this guy takes a step this way, this is potentially a stunt. Now, he does not have great lateral quickness. This is not a guy you're going to want to, you know, have pulling for you. It Absolutely not. This is a guy that's going to just kill it in the trenches for you. He does stand a little too tall at times. Um, you know, just doesn't get that back flat, doesn't have great, uh, you know, a wide base. So he's just a little too tall, and which... Pr- gets his back turned, or excuse me, gets his back bent over. And if you don't have a perfect pad level at the NFL level, that's that's the biggest, biggest weakness you could have. That's one thing that 99% of NFL players have figured out to a T is understanding pad level, and that's his biggest weakness. And if he gets that figured out, I really like what JV and Cohen brings. Um, I, I, JV and Co- well, JV and Cohen has only started for one season, mm-hmm. so... I'd like to see him, you know, get, you know, some more starts under his belt in 2022. I always worry about offensive linemen not getting enough starts. I always like my guys to have like three years or four years experience, you know, in the trenches because it just, it gives you a lot more. You see a lot more. Mm -hmm. You recognize a lot more as far as the defensive schemes. He has also shared... Uh, things about he's also shared like his struggle with mental health and he has been open about it Uh, he's been in in a facility that has kind of helped him get you know conquer some of those demons so I'm I'm sure NFL teams are going to probe that once the NFL draft comes into play I'm sure some teams are going to be worried about that I mean can this guy you know handle the pressure once he gets into the NFL. All right, how about number two, Brandon? Let's let's hear who you're, as we get closer to that number one prospect, who is your number two guy? Uh, well, you're going to love this guy because experience is his middle name. Andrew Voorhees from USC, offensive guard. He's a redshirt senior, six foot six, 325 pounds. He was a four-star recruit from Rivals and ESPN while being a three-star from 247 incredibly decorated high school career. I'm not going to run through everything, but he was a 2016 prep star All-American, which is very, very big uh, accomplishment for a high school player. I mean, the accolades go on for his high school, but you want experience, Alex? I got experience for you. In 2021, 12 games started. 2020, 5 games started. 2019, he was out with an injury, unfortunately. 2018, 11 games started. 2017, 9 games started. This guy has significantly by a million miles the most amount of experience coming out of this draft and like you said it's nice to have these guys that have the experience because there's a lot more question marks or there's excuse me there's a lot less question marks on your scouting report like like I was just saying with JV and Cohen is he going to be able to figure out that pad level situation I don't know I need to see it we've seen Andrew Voorhees for about five years now so we have a lot more questions answered for us already and I, I had a great time watching him, Alex. I really did. And uh, he's played tackle for his entire uh, a majority of his career and guard. So he, he's just flipped back and forth. He has position versatility. Um, there was not there was a few seasons where I actually think he played guard, center, and tackle. So 
to know you have a guy that's athletic to move across the line like that is a plus in itself. Probably the strongest lower body out of any of these players that I watched. He is incredibly good at redirecting defenders in the run game with his strike. You know, I was kind of saying that some guys just get that shoulder turn. This is a guy that's going to pop you in the chest and make you take a couple of step, steps back. Excuse me. Another very, very aggressive player. Uh, loves to find and initiate contact with a punishing play style. And he moves with authority. I do not think there was a better player that I scouted that when it comes to just getting up and getting to where you need to be from point A to point B, nobody did it better than Andrew Voorhees. And he plays with such a wide base that he just never seems to be getting pushed around. He's, you know, if you pair that perfect base with how strong Andrew Voorhees is, you're you're a human anchor. And there's nothing that anybody can do about it unless like you're going up against Aaron Donald or something like that. But not to not to hype Andrew Voorhees up too much, but we got to see how he pans out on the NFL level because there are some there are some concerns with his game. The timing of his strikes are inconsistent, and he relies so heavily on that first strike because it is so powerful. When he mistimes it, he almost overlunges, and he's lost the rep right there. If he does not initiate, if he doesn't win on that first strike, the rep is over for him. He has a really hard time regaining his position. And uh, another player that kind of struggles with that pad level, it wasn't nearly as big of an issue as it was for Javian Cohen, as it is for Andrew Voorhees, but it's definitely something that I noticed and was the cause of him losing a, uh, a rep here and there. And then the timing off the snap is slow every so often. Uh, when he times it right, you know, he's the first one off there. He's the first one initiating contact. But there was there was a handful of plays where I saw that the ball was snapped, the rest of the boys were moving, and he just kind of seemed to be a little delayed, maybe didn't even know the ball was snapped. And I, I think that's something that's just, that's not something I'm too concerned about. If you are if you work at that, that's something that will be fixed. He's a much more appealing skill set for a guard than a tackle. Even though he's got the experience for both, I expect him to, I expect him to be scouted as a guard by um, NFL scouts. I expect him to uh, they announced that he's going to be a guard going into next season, so there's no question marks about that, even though the versatility is there. I had a great time watching Andrew Voorhees. Well, Brandon, I, I do love experienced offensive linemen, but I also love versatility, and I think most teams do because, I mean, a guy like him can fill in in multiple spots if needed. And offensive linemen, they do go down a lot during the 17-game NFL season. All right, it sounds like he's a dream prospect, but he's not your number one guy. I would like to find out who that number one offensive guard is for the 2023 NFL draft. All righty, Alex. Don't don't eat me on this one because the experience is, it's not, it's, you know, honestly, it's not where I would love it to be for a, my guy that's number one. This may be the homerism in me talking, but Parrish Johnson from Ohio State, the true junior, was incredibly impressive to me. Six foot six, 310 pounds, consensus five-star recruit, and consensus number one player in Ohio. Now, he only has 18 games played with 13 games started, but in those 13 games, Alex, I was, I was beyond impressed. I was beyond impressed. He is, he's, he's a fair combination of, honestly, all of these guys that I've watched. He, he has the, the, uh, 
the head on the switch, like the the mentality aspect of Javian Cohen, but the physicality aspect of Andrew Voorhees, like. Just like Cohen, he's always looking for the extra assignment, always trying to find the extra guy to block. In the Andrew Voorhees sense, he can anchor larger defensive linemen with that strike. His first strike is just incredibly powerful. Once you're in that guy's grasp, it is so rare that you're actually going to get away. You know, he may not, like, put you straight into the dirt and pancake you every time, but he's going to hold you there, and, you know, he could hold you there long enough to have a full-blown conversation with you. You're not getting out of that man's paws. And he covers the ground super quickly. I mean, just it, Paris Johnson is a freak athlete. I, I think he's going to test incredibly, incredibly, incredibly well at the combine. He can turn your shoulders in the run game to open lanes, or he can push you back in the run lanes to open up run to open up the run game. Like I mentioned, he can move like no other. He's a great puller in the run game. They've used him to pull. They've used him to push. And he, the dude is so unbelievably long. I cannot wait till we get these measurements on him because I definitely think he's going to be top three longest, uh, longest guard slash tackle that we have coming out of this draft. Now, the, the few cons that I saw with him was his hand placement can be inaccurate off the snap, but he is so powerful and so athletic that even though he's kind of hitting the wrong spot at times, he's able to set himself back up and get right in the chest where he wants to be, even if that initial strike is misplaced. And, you know, a guy like Andrew Voorhees, who if he doesn't hit that first strike, the rep's over for him, say goodbye, that's a defensive win. Paris Johnson is so unbelievably, excuse me, unbelievably athletic that he can get back into position and a defensive lineman, you know, giving him a push on the shoulder isn't the end of his story. He can recognize stunts really well, but oftentimes reacts to blitzes uh, very late. So he, he can see a guy from the other side of the defensive line trying to come make a stunt, but there was a lot of times where I saw he was uh, really focused on what was happening around him rather than what was coming to him, and so there was a few blitzes that got past him. But other than that, I mean, that's that's something that you know, a couple sessions of film is going to fix up. I'm not too worried about it. When it comes to the physicality aspect of Paris Johnson, unbelievable. Now, to, to finish it off for him, he is more naturally built to play tackle. I mean, if you look at Paris Johnson, and I didn't tell you what position he played, you'd be like, oh, that's, that's an offensive tackle, no ifs, ands, or buts. And Ohio State feels the same way. I think he's going to be transitioning to tackle in 2022. But I've read reports that NFL scouts still view this guy as an offensive guard. At the college level, though, I absolutely do think that tackle is the best place for him to succeed. But for what he was able to do at guard, uh, it, it was unbelievable. And to have that one year of starting experience and impress me that much, uh, I, I really hope I'm not overstepping my Paris Johnson hype. But th that guy could be the truth, Alex. Well, Ohio State has had success with offensive linemen in the NFL. I mean, I just want to remind you folks, I mean, they've had a guy like Orlando Pace uh, that played for the Rams for, for over a decade. And you're right, Paris Johnson Jr. is going to be a left tackle mm -hmm. this season. It seems like he's entrenched there. And your scouting report basically describes a future left tackle in the NFL because he's got the size, he's got the athleticism, he's got the length, the arm length, and obviously he played guard early in his career, but he's transitioning as a junior to left tackle. 
So I think that's where his future position is going to be if he succeeds there. If you play well at left tackle at Ohio State and you do well, they're going to be like a top 10 pick as a left tackle in the NFL. So it sounds like, you know, you put him at number one at offensive guard, but I'm sure by the end of the season, maybe sometime in January, you're going to bump him up maybe to as your number one offensive tackle in the 2023 NFL draft. Yeah, and then to to add, to further add to the prospect that he's going to be, he is a great human being on top of being a great football player. So it's going to greatly elevate his draft stock. He he created his own foundation as a junior in college which helps homeless veterans and disabled student athletes to get the same uh opportunity uh as you know as every other student. So uh just to see that he's, you know, taking taking football as serious as he is t- helping people. It's it's just great to see somebody be so successful in both of those realms. So Paris Johnson, absolutely a name you guys need to keep on your radar going into this next draft. So where do you rank this offensive guard class compared to, say, last year's offensive guard class? Oh, gosh. I Significantly ahead. Okay. I mean, fair yeah. enough. So you're you're excited about the interior offensive lineman in this draft. I, I am incredibly excited. And, you know, uh, a few weeks ago I did the centers one. And the, the, even the centers, I, I, get, I understand that we had um, Tyler Linderbaum come out of the draft this last year, but the depth that we have at the centers even as well, is, it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So I think that maybe, maybe the top-end talent this last year could have been a little bit better. Uh, I for the centers, but I don't think that's true for the guards, and I think it's deeper for the guards as well. You know how much I love the draft, uh, Brandon. I haven't watched these offensive guards at all. I was very passionate about it, and I'm just I'm excited to hear the passion in your voice as you speak about these prospects. It kind of brings me back to my old old heyday i guess when i was doing so much scouting for the website oh no it's 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 such a blast man i you got to get back into it alex i know you'd love it but uh it's 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 seriously one of the best things to do and like i kind of mentioned at the beginning of this show the reason i'm having such a great time with it is because this class is one for the ages i mean i understand that we haven't seen any of them in the nfl yet we're still waiting on another season from them but i mean it, you have the likes of Will Anderson and Jalen Carter. I mean, just to have those names in the draft, some of, some of the best defensive players we've seen in college the last 10 years are going to be coming out next year. So I have had the time of my life breaking down these positions that I've had an opportunity to. Well, I hope the quarterbacks live up to the hype as well. Sometimes, you know, the hype is so great and they just fall flat on their faces and... In order for this 2023 draft class to be great, it has to be a couple of really good quarterbacks that live up to the hype. And I'm sure they will because, you know, this quarterback class in 2022 was fairly disappointing. And I think it showed as far as their draft selections. Only one quarterback was taken in the first round. Brandon, I had fun filling in on the show as a guest host, so if you ever need me to to do it again sometime down the road, I'm 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 for it. Oh, absolutely, Alex. I, I loved having you, man. It it was 
it was a little bit of a blast from the past because when I was first doing these podcasts, it was with you. So it was great to have you back on the show, Alex, and we'll definitely be in touch. All right. This was uh, Blitzcast number uh, 224. 224. That's a lot of shows that I did with Ed and now, you know, Brandon with Angelo and now Brandon with Ed once again. So it's just we've had a lot of hosts and it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to another episode. That was Brandon uh, on the other line. I'm Alex. Thank you for listening. Take care.